Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latina Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Nicole Nieto. Nicole Nieto is a system vice provost for outreach and engagement in the Office of Academic Affairs at The Ohio State University. Throughout her 16-year-long Ohio State career, Dr. Nieto has held positions in the offices of Student Life, Human Resources, Research, and Academic Affairs. Dr. Nieto is a 2019 OSU class breaker, an honor given to women who have advanced their careers at Ohio State while serving as mentor to other women. Welcome to this episode, Nicole. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. Tell me about your journey into higher education. Oh, gosh. You know, it's so interesting because I feel like I went to college and I never left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, it wasn't a, a career that I ever anticipated or dreamed about. But mm -hmm. I think I always was dreaming about it. I just didn't know that this type of, of career path existed. Mm -hmm. Um But I, I went to undergraduate college in 1995 mm -hmm. in Southern Mississippi, mm -hmm. at, at the University of Southern Mississippi, and, um, and really enjoyed the mm -hmm. college atmosphere as a student. Mm -hmm. And my last year as an undergraduate student, I took my first women's studies course. Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably one of the first women's studies courses at Southern Miss. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I just fell in love with it. And I thought, I want to get a master's in this, which I never had even considered. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I knew that I wanted to stay close to my family. They lived uh, in southeastern Louisiana. And there were two women's studies programs that were kind of in the South that had master's degrees. Mm -hmm. And that was the University of Alabama and the University of North Texas. Uh, both really, really great programs, and Alabama was closer, so I applied there and um, started a master's program mm -hmm. in women's studies, and had so many wonderful experiences as a student. Mm -hmm. I um, was able to go to Selma as part of a class that I took mm -hmm. on women in the civil yeah. rights movement, And that really inspired me. It was it was one of the big anniversaries. So 1965 was the march, and this mm -hmm. was in 2000 that we went. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton came, Coretta Scott King, uh, Ethel Kennedy, and we did the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And I remember our our graduate professor, she and her partner drove us in one of those 15 passenger vans. And and this particular faculty member, Dr. Rose Gladney, had been in part of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. So she had these firsthand stories to share mm -hmm. that were just so powerful. And after that, I really became engaged in, in community work. And I remember canvassing for votes with one of my other professors, Dr. Rhoda Johnson, both you know, at University of Alabama. And it was for the first African-American mayor in Selma. Mm -hmm. The the same mayor since 1965 was still the mayor oh in 2000. <laughs> and so 
I remember I, I went to campus and rode with her and uh, went knocking for on doors for for you know to encourage people to vote. And then we went to a Jamaican restaurant in Selma, Alabama. It was just <laughs> wonderful. Um, and then when I when I graduated with my master's, I wasn't ready to leave. <laughs> so I ended up applying for a job uh, working with international students. Mm. And I was in that role for three years and, and really enjoyed being um, around so many different cultures, learning from the students. Uh, this was post 9-11, mm-hmm. so it was 2002, mm-hmm. um, very, you know, very soon after that I started the, the position. And it became a lot of databases that we were filling out and, mm-hmm. and paperwork about the students. And, and it was less, to me, what I really wanted to be doing around social justice work. Mm-hmm. I did, when I was there, receive a grant to take international students to the civil rights memorials in mm-hmm. Alabama. So then I was the person driving the eight pas- 18 passenger <laughs> van and we went to Selma, we went to Birmingham to the, the uh, Civil Rights Institute and 16th Street Baptist Church. We went to Montgomery to the Rosa Parks Library and Museum. It was just wonderful. And um, and then I, I had been at Alabama in that role for three years and said, okay, I'm ready for more social justice work. And I applied for a job at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I was 28 years old. You know, now I'm 45. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to Columbus. And my mother's originally from Ohio. So my grandma and my aunt were close by. And, and I started at the Multicultural Center. Wow. And was, you know, doing that social justice work. And it was just really wonderful and has continued to be. Right. And then you decided to go for a PhD in women's studies. Right. That's uh, right. Yes. So tell me, I mean, uh, it, it, what you've told me already sort of um, tells me a lot about how you are in the position that you are in right now. But talk to us a little bit about how, you know, the work that you did on your doctoral program in women and gender studies, um, and also the courses that you teach in the areas of popular culture, literature, food, how does that inform the work that you do as an assistant vice provost? You know, um, yeah, so I I was fortunate enough to go through the PhD program Mm -hmm. here at Ohio State in Women's Gender Sexuality Studies, and I did a specialization in folklore studies, Mm -hmm. which is so grounded, right, in community Mm -hmm. and uh, the examination of the everyday life that makes up a community, Mm -hmm. the food, the rituals, the traditions, the celebrations, the struggles, the language, right, all of that. Um, and, you know, really looking at communities as very complex systems um, with their own unique identities. And when I was getting my Ph.D., I, I wrote my dissertation on the role of food in post-Katrina New Orleans. Mm. You know, I grew up right outside of New Orleans in a, in a town called Slidell. And um, my mom and dad and sister were there during Katrina. I had just moved here 2005. And um, that really made a big impact on me to to see a community that I loved um, struggle mm-hmm. in many ways 
uh, struggle with a natural disaster, struggle with uh, not having the support that they needed from the government, uh, struggle with racism and poverty and violence and New Orleans is, is, gosh, it's one of the most magical cities in the world, Mm -hmm. yet it also has some major challenges that Mm -hmm. people who visit often don't see. And so so I say all of that because at the core of my academic studies has always been community Mm -hmm. and and studying community and learning um, about cultures and what makes each community so unique and special, but also what are those those really, um, you know, important and complex challenges that they're dealing with. Right. And so, in my work with outreach and engagement, that has certainly informed how I work with communities, how I develop. Uh, some of my workshops around engaging with diverse communities, mm-hmm. around authentic dialogue to really mm-hmm. listen to others and not, right. you know, jump to a conclusion or have your own biases against, you know, how you think people are operating, but to just be present in the moment with them and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, with the classes that I teach, it's an opportunity to, to continue that work for me as a teacher to be able to support students in their own life narrative and stories and right. the communities that they're coming from, right, to Ohio State. Uh, and then also an opportunity for us to engage in, in important conversations around what does community mean? What does it mean in Columbus? What does it mean at Ohio State? Right. What does it mean in, in Ohio and beyond? Um, and who feels like they're part of a community and who feels left out. That's always been something that I'm very interested in in examining. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I am a dreamer, <laughs> I want communities where all people feel welcome. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds... It sounds a little rainbow and butterfly, but that's a little <laughs> bit of who I am. Yeah. Um, and I, I just... I. It's my hope. Right, right. Nicole, since the pandemic, your office and the offices of diversity, equity, and inclusion around the country have been in high demand for workshops and trainings around the topics of justice, race, equity, and how to best incorporate these topics into our work um, as, you know, institutionally in our classrooms. And part of it, makes me think, well, shouldn't we have been thinking about this all along, uh, especially in higher education, right? Um, and another part of me thinks that um, sees it as a good thing, right? We're finally willing to have real conversations and think about real solutions that bring positive changes to our departments, classrooms, and institutions. So tell me about this work um, that you have been doing and the changes that you are seeing, because one thing is to provide workshops and awareness, and one is to see changes, right? How are changes being um, implemented? How you see people sort of incorporating, you know, an aspect of your workshops or trainings into in real ways? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a fabulous question. And 
since I started at Ohio State, and even before, when I was at the University of Alabama, I've been doing diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. trainings and mm-hmm. workshops and leading conversations. And I started at Alabama with international students. Right. And then that's, that's uh, evolved over the years um, in the Multicultural Center, certainly in the Office of Human Resources. I focused on the DEI mm-hmm. topics, then working in the Office of Research, focusing on women faculty in STEM disciplines and mm-hmm. what are the challenges and how can we uh, create more awareness around the challenges that women and people of color in STEM are facing. Um, but you're right, where's the action? Mm-hmm. Where's the behavioral change? And I think that the past couple of years have challenged us to think beyond the awareness. Mm-hmm to think beyond the, I'm going to tolerate this, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not going to really get us very far. Mm -hmm. Um, The the challenge is creating behavioral change Mm -hmm. is difficult. Mm -hmm. It can be done, but it requires a lot of intentionality. And practice. Practice, Mm -hmm. tangible skills that people can learn. And then there's this other piece where people then say, okay, I want to take action. Can you give me a list of five things to do, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, five, a list of five things is not gonna just, you know, make everything better overnight. And it's a start, but oftentimes people see this as a checklist Mm -hmm. and not an ongoing practice. This is something that, you know, we're always going to have diversity, we're always going to have emerging populations. We're always going to have changes in our society. So we constantly need to be in these conversations. Adapting, right? Right, Right. yes. Um, so, So yes, it was wonderful to see people emailing and calling and saying, can you come and do this type of workshop, this, this, and this? And part of me Again, you're right, said, gosh, why were we not doing this all along? Certain pockets were, mm-hmm. you know, certain areas were, but but not broadly. And um, one thing that I have noticed is I feel that um, those, those communities that have had more power or have been an agent identity group mm-hmm. are starting to understand a bit more why this work is important Mm -hmm. for them. And I see a lot more sincerity from those individuals when they're going through the workshops or when they request one. I'm always very clear that I believe in sharing information and creating that awareness. However, a dialogue is really key to the work that I do. We've got to be in dialogue with one another. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be in a space where we can have that courageous dialogue and that people are going to participate. Um, and so so it, it's, a, it's a constant process, one that I see evolving constantly. And the other piece is, and I've heard this said a few times now, it's like we really want to hurry up and be there, right? You know, be in, right. but we've got to be intentional and right. we've got to take our time. And yes, it should have happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Mm-hmm. 
And so we've got to now with this momentum, I believe, um, do it in the right way right. to hopefully create lasting change. Exactly. One of the things that I've seen and and that's working or a um, path towards maybe making sure that these things are, are being done um, is accountability, oh, right? Um, public accountability of um, re- reporting, public reporting of our progress and or are the ways that, you know, the the um, areas where we're still working on things, right? I think that self-reflection, self-study of, okay, this is, you know, we're, where we're going and we're doing well and this is, we're having a harder time here. Um, and be honest. And I think that um, that transparency really um, pushes us to, Trusting the institution, trusting, um, you know, the offices that support this type of work um, as moving us in the mm-hmm. right path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so I've seen, um, and unfortunately, right, and, and it's just me looking at different institutions, I've seen institutions that are really committed to this work and are not, um, you know, just uh, a trend, right, and um, uh, is, so they're um, they're really um, looking for ways to incorporate this across the institution, not just in one area or one office, right? As the office that's going to be solving all the problems, but it, it involves like this personal responsibility, right? And then, unfortunately, the other institutions that um, are more sort of performative, or oh, like right. this is a fad, or this is mm-hmm. something that we're just gonna, like you said, checklist. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, you said three words there that I think are so important, and that's self-reflection, mm-hmm. transparency, and accountability. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that self-reflection piece, we all have to really be critically self-reflective and mm-hmm. see where are my biases, where. Am I not um, practicing what I'm, what I'm, you know, sharing mm-hmm. and, and educating on? And where are my areas for improvement? Um, and then there's folks that have never really thought about their own identities in mm-hmm. a critical way. Mm-hmm. So for some people, that is, you know, a big first step, mm-hmm. and it's something that I believe has to be done mm-hmm. for this work to to make progress. And then transparency and accountability, my goodness. You know, we, we do need systems, right, in, right. in place that, um, that, that show that this work is important. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing, another piece that you, that you just said, I'm in the Office of Outreach and Engagement, but I also make DEIJ work core to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so I'm not in an office that's dedicated to DEI work as the sole mission. Mm-hmm. However, everything that I do, it's a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I think how can we, and wherever we're located, be able to provide that education, share those messages, engage in those dialogues, advocate in certain ways for uh, marginalized people. And uh, I see it as all of our responsibilities. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I do see this momentum, right? Momentum mm-hmm. of um, 
educating ourselves, our institutions yeah. are moving towards, you know, uh, looking into ways that we can be accountable, that we can be racially just, you know, and have these conversations, create spaces for conversations and actions. But also this sort of um, movement has also um, increased in some areas hostility towards incorporating these conversations into our classroom right through there is a, a um, you know this rejection of critical race theory um, what's your opinion on this I ask this because we have we see contradictory ideas or understanding of what it means to do justice work mm-hmm. This is a, you know, it's a great question. It's a challenging question. Um, it's one that I don't, you know, pretend to have the answers to, but I do have, you know, my thoughts around it. And it's and it's interesting because I really feel like critical race theory has been used as, um, I don't know, kind of this, it's, it's been misused, let mm-hmm. me say, right. <laughs> um, because Really, I don't know very many K through 12 where there really is critical race theory occurring, right? right? Um, So people have this misunderstanding of what that even is. And there really, I believe, needs to be some education on what critical race theory truly is. Mm -hmm. Because if we look at what it truly is, very few of our classes, you know, or curriculums even have critical race theory in it. Mm -hmm. It's not... um, you know, as ubiquitous, ubiquitous as some people perceive it to be, it right? Is, yeah. mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, for me, I just go back to, and again, it's the dreamer in me, <laughs> um, let's have one-on-one conversations. Let's have small do- group dialogues. Let's talk about when you say critical race theory, what do you really mean? Because you really mean something else. And it's not um, critical race theory shouldn't be in my students' classrooms because it really isn't in there. (laughs) So what is that? What are you really trying to say? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so I think there needs to be education around what critical race theory truly is. And then I think there needs to be dialogue. Years ago, one of the best things that ever happened to me when I was young in my career at Ohio State is I was trained in the intergroup dialogue model from Mm -hmm. the University of Michigan. And it has informed everything that I do Mm -hmm. from the workshops that I lead to the workshops that I participate in to, you know, being in the classroom as a teacher to even my own personal relationships, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It's taught me to be a more... um, authentic communicator. I was going to say effective, but but that sounds very businesslike, an effective <laughs> communicator. Yeah. No, I want to be an authentic communicator. Right. And I want us to be able to have these difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think the critical race theory is one of those conversations. Right, because like you said, I mean, people don't really understand. And, and what makes me think, okay, what is the root of this fear? What, what is it that you think this is that is causing you you know, to be defensive or fearful. Um, And yeah, so, and a lot of that has to do with privilege, right? Like, oh, it's threatening my positionality as a privileged, um, you know, person because of whatever it is, you know, the the race or even um, 
ability or right. you know all all of the different ways and and which we could be privileged so so yeah that makes me think of that like what is the real root of of this fear right yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes exactly mm-hmm. yeah and and how can we how can we name that and dig deeper mm-hmm. and have those conversations yeah absolutely uh, Nicole, can you give us an example of how you incorporate a race, a racial and gender justice lens into your classroom? And I know I asked this question before in previous conversations right. that we've had. And as a, you know, it, it, it's it's almost when people ask me about that in my classes, it's like, um, when I talk about immigration and Latinos, you know, so it's, it's, it's part of the lesson, right? It's part, like, I can't talk about the Latino experiences without bringing into, um, you know, that conversation, the racial identities of these communities, um, gen- how gender, you know, traditional gender roles have affected um, or had an impact on, on our communities. And um, so, yeah, so I'm asking you a question that might be very, you know, uh, at the core of the courses that you teach. That's right. I, yeah, I mean, gender and racial justice is at the core, yeah. right, of um, the classes that I teach on, um, you know, for instance, African-American women authors, mm-hmm. or um, I got to teach a class on lesbian authors a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, gender and food. Uh, women film in Hollywood, right? So gender and, and race are always at the core, as well as the other identities, mm-hmm. too. I think what I do is I want to always incorporate the lived experiences of the students in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so so I think of racial and gender justice, yes, it is inherent in women's gender and sexuality studies curriculum um, in teaching, However, I also incorporate it through honoring the the nar- personal narratives, lived mm-hmm. experiences, stories that the students have to share about race, about gender, about other identities that they have. Mm-hmm. And we do that in, in different ways. You know, one is um, I, I taught a class on place and space last semester with seniors, WGSS seniors, and um one of the things that we did was to bring in their own personal artifact that was from what they considered home, mm. you know, and, and really thinking of home as a place and what that means to them. Or, you know, and they could think of it in many different ways. Home could be a community to them. Home could be uh, a, a group of activists that they were a part mm-hmm. of. Home right. could be uh, their home with their, you know, parents or or parent figures and um so so that was really a special way to start the class Mm -hmm. and to honor those experiences those places of belonging that they've created Mm -hmm. for themselves and so I always try to incorporate and I think it's the the folklore uh influence Mm -hmm. try to incorporate the lived experiences of the students, honoring that, and, and also knowing that they are not just students, but they are racialized, have gender, have all the identities that can give them privilege mm-hmm. or can make things really difficult. And 
as a, a teacher and instructor, I always want to be aware of that. And that's how I do racial and gender justice work in the classroom. Great, great. Yeah, no, I can. And that really what you do, that little, you know, maybe not so little gesture, <laughs> right, of like inviting yeah. the students to bring something that's special to them into the classroom. It's probably one of the very few experience, if not the only experience they might have at um, in the at the university, right? Where very we don't always take the time to um, to really get to know our students and by allowing that to to exist in the classroom, we can enter into the conversations about what we're about to learn and how does that apply to me and how does that apply to you know some of the things that you consider as home or part of you right. and uh, so that opens up that conversation where they can see themselves mm-hmm. also in the in the lessons or in the um, class content that yes. you're creating so that's great that's oh. a great I, I think I'm going to incorporate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, what projects are you currently working on? Um, I don't know, at the Office of um, Outreach and Engagement or um, any anything else that mm-hmm. professionally? Yeah. So some of the projects that, that I'm currently working on is thinking about how we at Ohio State, this has been happening always, right? How we engage with community. Mm-hmm. And thinking really intentionally in the spaces of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So one of the the projects that's coming up this summer that I'm really excited about is our office has partnered with the SNAP Ed Educators out of Extension Mm. and CFAES. And um, and this happened because I um, had been working with uh, one of the Marion County Extension educators, Whitney German, mm-hmm. and um, we both have a background in intergroup dialogue, and we are very interested in, in how can we bring this to cohorts of people that are engaged with communities. So um, we were able to, through some of her uh, professional relationships, have um, the opportunity to work with the SNAP ed educators, and mm-hmm. there's one in each county. And we're doing a three-module sessions, um, and we'll start with identity and social identity, talking about privilege and power and targeted identities and agent identities and some foundational concepts around DEIJ work. And then the second workshop that we'll be doing will be focused on implicit bias. Mm -hmm. So, you know, particularly as a SNAP educator, thinking about what type of biases do I have that are implicit that I don't recognize? Mm -hmm. And we all have them, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, So that'll be the second session. And then the third session is focused on dialogue and creating change. Mm -hmm. So we'll be really focused on how can we create dialogue, how can you be in authentic dialogue with others, and then how can you really work to create change. So um, so that was this one upcoming project that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. There's some other ones because we're using this as a model. And so there have been some conversations with some other Mm -hmm. uh, groups in Central Ohio to continue this work Mm -hmm. in that way. I've also had the opportunity to do some work around diversity, equity, and inclusion in kind of a broader way recently. That's just been 
um, uh, it, you know, I, I hate to say the word rewarding um, because I, I don't, for some reason I don't like the connotation of that. It's like <laughs> I don't want a reward, but it, but it but it just fulfilling, feels yeah. good. fulfilling. Mm-hmm. That's the word. Mm-hmm. That's the word. It's so fulfilling to do to do this work, and um, so you know, I, I think that throughout my career here at Ohio State. I've always really been able to do things that, I'm using your word, fulfill me, um, that make me feel um, that I'm on the right path. Mm -hmm. I've been been really fortunate. Um, I've had some great opportunities. And sometimes I didn't think that those opportunities would come, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And that's why I, I do have a lot of conversations with women who are you know, professional women here at Ohio State, and and um, you know, it, they've ended up ended up coming my way some of these opportunities, and and it's it's been a, just a really an experience that I'm just so grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I think ahead to some of these projects that I've mentioned, I'm just grateful that I get to do this work. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunities. I'm grateful for the conversations. I'm grateful to know you, right? <laughs> you know, through Ohio State. Yes. I mean, really grateful <laughs> to know you for for a lot of reasons. And um, it's just been it's been a wonderful journey. Right. And I'm just excited to see what what projects and what comes next. Yes, I love knowing that you're from Alabama and you're a here <laughs> in Ohio and. And your growth. I mean, you're an inspiration to many. Thank you so much. I feel the same way about you. I truly do, Elena. Thank you. Nicole, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. (laughs) 